heart of every man craves a great adventure, but life doesn't usually feel that way. Jesus speaks of narrow gates and wide roads, but the masculine journey is filled with many twists and turns. So how do we keep from losing heart while trying to find the good way when life feels more like a losing battle than something worth dying for? Grab your gear and come on a quest with your band of brothers who will serve as the guides in what we call the masculine journey. The masculine journey starts here now. Oh, ho, ho, do we have a masculine journey for you today? It's, we're actually kind of taking you through the masculine journey, the stages of the masculine journey, kind of mirroring the book The Way of the Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. We've been in this sort of series of what does a masculine journey look like in the life of King David? And what are the different stages he went through? What are some of the different stages that men go through? I'm in the studio today with my good friend, and masculine <laughs> journey compadre Vinny Menino. Welcome, Vinny. Hey, welcome, Robbie. Good and, to be here. And we got Al Henley with us as well. And what we're going to be talking about today is really a, a neat stage. It's called, in the book, it's called the cowboy stage. But as you might imagine, in, in King David's life, he was a cowboy of sorts, but he was a shepherd. And his father had tasked him was something that in today's age, I wonder if we could even imagine sending an 11, 12-year-old boy out there to be by himself out in the wilderness. Child services would be all over you. <laughs> and he's going to have to take on a lion and a bear and all those kinds of things. And so what does that look like? How was David fathered? How were you fathered? And, and what are some of the things we miss today in the way that we were fathered? And now we got an amazing clip that we're going to start right off with. It's from the movie called The Ultimate Gift. And in this movie, and I got to set this clip up a bit because if you hadn't seen the movie, I might lose you a bit in it. But James Garner is dead at this point in time, and he had a grandson who was unfortunately very spoiled. And I'm sure you'll hear that <laughs> when you listen to this clip. And his father, his grandfather, is trying to give him something that would really mean something, not just a bunch of money that would spoil him further, but actually give him something to base his life on, a gift that would, that would take him somewhere. And part of it is taking him through this cowboy stage. And interestingly, he sends him to a cowboy to learn something about what that is. And that's hard work. And so you're going to hear him start to dig fence posts and how he learns about the gift of work. And it's, it's an interesting ultimate gift that he gets just out of this experience. Well, then, if you're watching this, I, I must be dead. <laughs> That's a strange concept. Jason, I made a lot of mistakes with our family, but you're the one I think I hurt the most. The only way I can make it up to you is to not give you anything. I knew it. Well, what I mean by that is that I, I'm not giving you anything just yet, so sit back down there. I've been thinking about this for a long time. How can I give you something and not have it ruin you like your uncles and aunts, even some of their kids? So, so I want to give you a gift, a series of gifts leading up to, well, I want to call it the ultimate gift. Now you fail in any way, it's over. You get nothing. Hey, city boy, breakfast is over. Don't you have uh, some kind of gizmo to wake you up? Beat it. Morning. What is your problem? 
Just from there. Eight feet from the center. Well, how far am I supposed to go? <laughs> Don't worry, you'll run out of posts before you run out of Texas. I wish I had a dollar for every fence post I've ever set. Matter of fact, I do. So I'm dying to know, what did you get? Well, whatever it is, I gotta survive this geriatric cowboy until he gives it to me or when I get back or, or when I'm finished. Finish what? You know what? Let me get back to you, okay? Jason. So that's it. But you're gonna have to send somebody. You know, you do any work like you just did. You can do anything. Now aren't you forgetting something? I don't think so. Shoot. The gift. I came here to pick up a gift, remember? <laughs> That was the gift? I do manual labor for a month, and you're trying to tell me it was a favor? To me? The gift of work. Wow. Congratulations. Look, Hamilton, just tell me what my total inheritance is. I'm over this. Now, we're thinking about offering those masculine journey cattle prods to help you get your kids out of <laughs> I would love to have one of those. <laughs> it was very effective in getting that young man out of bed, but, you know, it's an interesting thing. Al, how God fathered us, sometimes through a father like this cowboy experience that we were just hearing, but sometimes God himself fathers us, but he puts us in a position to find out that we have what it takes to do some kind of work that we never really thought that we were capable of. And as you're listening to our stories today, I'm hoping you're thinking to yourself and connecting some dots on maybe how God was showing you that, or maybe how we can show our sons, our grandsons, or other young men how they could enjoy the gift of work but al well you were in the navy before you you understood the gift of work and you and you got kind of volunteered for something that's absolutely right um you know i didn't have a father around the house when i was a kid so this was my first time in a a environment with a bunch of men and, and learning to interact but we were in the persian gulf and the uss stark had been hit by exocet missile and they got hit in the fire control room which is where i stood watch on my ship so they needed somebody to go to the engine room and do a switchboard watch and train to do it. It usually takes about a year, but they wanted to fast track them. It was a six, six and six watch, which means that you work six hours, you were off six hours, and you were back for six hours. In the Persian Gulf, in the engine room, it's about 180 degrees. They had an alarm to go off to tell you when to drink water, and you had to constantly drink. And you, I, I think as soon as you drank it, it was coming out your pores because we were sweating. It was miserable. And, and when you were off, you had to go to sleep and it was hot. When you took a shower, the water was hot because we pulled it out of the ocean and it was hot there. And, and for me, that was misery. That was just enduring pure misery for that time. And I think back, there were, there were a couple of times in misery, even boot camp, uh, it was just misery. And I had to learn to endure it. You know, fast forward, I was going through a divorce. This is almost 10 years later. Um, and I'd been a restaurant manager uh, in fast food and I was just so sick of the, the drama and the difficulties that come with that type of work. And I was going to apply for a job as a waiter at a restaurant and they said, look, we really need a dishwasher. I was like, you couldn't pay me enough to be a dishwasher. He said, I'll pay you this much money. I was like, you pay that much money for a dishwasher. He's like, yeah. And instead of me having to have 
you know, from my separation, I was paying child support. I was paying all the fa- the debt. I took it all on and I had to survive. So I was going to have to get two full-time jobs and a part-time job. Well, this amount of money allowed me to just get two full-time jobs and being working in a dish pit is miserable. I don't care where you are, but it was so much better than being on watch <laughs> in an engine room in the Persian Gulf that I would sing, I would laugh, I would pick on, p- play with the people coming in. And after a while, it became so fun that that's where people were hanging out. And the manager said, look, you, you can't be in the dish room everywhere, every, anymore because everybody wants to hang out there. So he moved me out to the kitchen. And some neat things about that story is you ended up being a manager, coming to Greensboro, meeting your future wife. Yeah, they, you know, God they was fathering me. you through all that. And the neat thing is, you know, God was there and that was the 70s and 80s. But, but you don't know this, but no, God, no, this was, God was, this was the early 90s. Clear back in the 20s and <laughs> <laughs> the 30s when Vinny was a young man. But Vinny has a really, you know, here he is, a young Italian man in Manhattan. And what a young Italian man in Manhattan do when they start to find out about how hard work is, Vinny? Well, uh, I wasn't too great at going to school, and I wanted to quit school, but yeah, but there was an alternative to quitting. I had to go to work. And my father put me with his his brother as a plasterer. I don't know how many people out there know what plastering is, but that's before sheetrock. So in 1947, I went to work as a plasterer, and I was a plasterer for seven years. And I worked with a man by the name of Victor Ramsey, who fathered me in many, many ways. But we had this job to plaster a church. Now, I was used to getting on a scaffolding that was three feet off of the ground, and there was no falling and getting hurt, you know what I mean? And now I go to see to look at this job, and it's 75 feet up in the air. And I don't mean the scaffolding that people know what we have today, you know, all locked in metal and all that stuff, completely safe. This was rickety planks nailed together. <laughs> I didn't even want to climb 75 feet on a good step, you know, uh, stairs. Now I told Victor, I said, I can't do this. And he said, well, you know your uncle. Uh, which I called Papa, Papa Angela. He says, I can't tell him that. You're going to have to do it. I said, but I can't, Vic. You know, I mean, I just well, the can't The thing it. was that not only you were up there that high, but you weren't just putting up plaster. You had no. to put it in the, this was a Greek church. You had to make it in ornate shapes and all sorts. Ornate shapes, which, you know, Victor was a master at it. And I tried to tell him, Vic, I can't do this stuff. He says, you can do it. Just listen to what I tell you and you can do it. Make a long story short, well, I ended up climbing up to 75 feet and was up on that scaffold for a po- approximately three months. That's just to do the ceiling. Now we've got to work our way down. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Vic to give me the, the boost in fathering me, and the greatest thing about the whole story is that he didn't tell my uncle because I knew what would have happened if my <laughs> uncle would so, well, it's yeah, interesting but, how those things work in life, and I had one of those tests early, but then later on in life, when I was late in my 50s, and I lost everything. I lost my dealership. I lost my house. I lost all my cars, and you know, I lost most of my friends, honestly. I, I Like the ultimate gift, if you watch the movie, the next step is you lose everything to find out who your friends were. But I found out that I could deliver papers to help make some of the money I needed just to get a deposit so we could go rent a house, and I had two kids and all this stuff I had to pay. 
And the next thing I knew, I had totally lost confidence. I couldn't do it. I, you know, I lost all my family's money, everything in the world. I had no confidence left. So I started delivering papers. And the guy showed me how he, you know, you'd be to put him at the end of the street. Well, I noticed that there's some of these little ladies, they had a mailbox that had a place for the papers. So I said, well, I, I bet they'd like it better or not if they didn't have to bend over and get their papers. And, and I could do it and make sure their papers got out. Well, by the end of my stint doing papers, the little ladies were giving me tips. They were telling me how great a job I was doing. I was like, well, I, I may be a failure and everything, but I can deliver papers. So even later in life, God can come and father and show you you got what it takes. We got so much more masculine journey. Oh, the real cowboy stuff's coming up. Stay tuned. Your phone, your tablet, your iPad, your Android just became a radio. That's right. You can take the Truth Network with you everywhere now thanks to our brand new Truth Network app. That's right. Listen to Dr. Michael Brown in the Line of Fire, The Christian Car Guy with Robbie Dilmore, Truth Talk Live, all of our programming 24-7 right there in your hand. Perhaps you're out of range of your radio or traveling in a busy airport. You can plug into the Truth Network. Just go to truthnetwork.com to download the new free app. That's truthnetwork.com. We have a job to do out here today. To be a winning team, you have to work like a winning team. My team depends on me. And my team is 50,000 strong. This is the action team. High school students and Major League Baseball players working together to train and inspire the next generation of volunteers. I'm LaTroy Hawkins. I'm Craig Kimbrell. And we're on the team. The action team. Our team is the action team. Get in on the action at actionteam.org. Are you in? Welcome back to The Masculine Journey, where today we're kind of taking us through the steps of the masculine journey, it, it, sort of mirroring uh, John Eldridge's book, The Way at the Wild at Heart, kind of seeing how Father has fathered us through all the different stages of the masculine journey. Last week, we were talking about the life of David in the boyhood stage. Today, how fun, we get to do the cowboy stage, which is before you get to the warrior. Again, we're saving that for next week, but we're, we're part of a series, and this cowboy stage is usually when a man's a young boy sort of from the 13 age on up into his early 20s, or in some case, you know, if we didn't get it, God's going to take us back to that <laughs> stage to to make sure that we get it again. But part of that stage is certainly the hard work that we described. And I hope as we told those stories, some of you recalled how somebody had stepped in and fathered you. But the thing of it is, is that cowboy can be injured if he fails at that hard work. If he gets something that's over his head and he continues to fail, then he begins to get this other label that Satan would spin on him. So he needs a father. He needs somebody to step in and say, you can do this, like Victor did for Vinny, and, and, and like God actually did in your case, and he, and he did in mine to show you that we could do it. But now we get to this other part. It's sort of an adventurous part, and it, it, it's an interesting thing. I found out that Teddy Roosevelt, as a boy, was kind of overweight. He was the rich kid. He was kind of like the kid in the, in the right. ultimate gift, and he went on adventure to learn how to hunt. And in doing so, it turned his whole life around as he found out, and, and he wrote a fascinating book, and he talked about when he got buck fever, when he was hunting, it taught him how to get control of his emotion and how those things happen outside. Now, interestingly, you're going to find out a lot of the way that God fathers us is the way he fathered David, that he was alone all this time, but he also fathered Jesus and you remember Jesus in the cowboy stage. The only time we get to see Jesus in that stage was when he went to the temple. What was he? He was alone, right, Al? Absolutely. And what was he doing? Well, he was about his father's business. He was check, 
sharing his spirituality with with the priests and the rabbis. Right, he was going in and doing what it was that he knew he was going to later be called to to do, but he was doing it alone. And so often, a boy finds himself alone, as David did, as he kind of faced that line and that bear. And as this clip that we're going to play from uh, the never-ending story, where the young warrior. Uh, is facing this wolf-like creature is what you're going to hear. And then listener unfolds pretty fascinating clip. Come any closer. I will rip you to shreds. Who are you? I am the morgue. And you, whoever you are, and have the honor of being my last victim. I will not die easily. I am a warrior. <laughs> Brave warrior. But why, Fantasia, dying? Because people have begun to lose their hopes and forget their dreams. So the nothing grows stronger. What is the nothing? It's the emptiness that's left. It is like a despair destroying this world. And I have been trying to help it. But why? Because people who have no hopes are easy to control. And whoever has the control has the power. Who are you, really? I am the servant of the power behind the nothing. I was sent to kill the only one who could have stopped the nothing. I lost him in the swamps of sadness. His name was Atreo. If we're about to die anyway, I'd rather die fighting! Come for me, Gmork! I am Atreo! parts of the cowboy stage where a young man begins to understand his own strength sometimes emotional strength sometimes the ability to fight sometimes the ability to protect and to learn some of those things not only protecting himself but sometimes protecting others or to stand up in a particular situation now <laughs> you know how blessed are we to have you know a warrior two warriors in front of us that both have served our country that both have defended our freedoms. But before they got to that part of their life, uh, God had something else for him. In Vinny's case, it was a stickball game. <laughs> and uh, set that up for Vinny and tell us how that played out in the streets of New York. All righty. Most of you people out there that are listening probably don't understand what the game stickball was. Well, we used to play in the middle of the street. Uh, dodging the traffic and uh, in the summertime no air condition so everybody was out on the stoops you know as we call them stoops of their homes and we would be playing and they would be betting 
our fathers would be bent against each other on us kids playing. Well, I I committed an error. Uh, I ran in front of one of my buddies. Anyway, we got into a pushing and shoving, you know, uh, blaming each other. All of a sudden, by I feel somebody grab me by the neck, and it was my father. And he tells me, you know, this is a good friend of mine, this kid. And he tells me, he says, knock him on his butt, or I'll knock you on your butt. Well, now, I don't know who I'm afraid of more, but I took a good guess it was my father. <laughs> so I had to knock him on his butt, and, uh, you know, uh, and it sort of ended there. My father was proud that his son fought, and... Uh, Poor Augie, <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know what hit him. You know, what are you nuts, Vinny? But in any case, uh, that was being fathered by my father at that time. And uh, and your father had an understanding <clears throat> based on his life how right. important it was that you needed to know that you don't hold back when it's time to fight. You got to fight. It's time to fight. You know what's this sissy stuff pushing him? You know. Uh, those things didn't happen in 1944. <laughs> <laughs> you either put them up and duked it out, or you was, a, as we called them, sissy. But anyway, that's my story about the fathering. <laughs> and in, in Al's case, now again, you didn't have a father around the house, but you had a coach, and you had a football bully. Coach Henry Douglas actually played guard for the University of Tennessee and he had to play against Claude Humphrey in practice. And he told us a story about standing your ground. Well, there was I had my own Claude Humphrey named Farrell Burton. He was a wild man, toughest kid in middle school. And every time after the play, he'd start pushing me, shoving me, hitting me, knocking me down. And I said because the whistle hadn't blown, I wouldn't fight back. Truth was, I was afraid. I had Nobody had fathered me through that. Coach pulled me aside and he goes, don't give me that. Why aren't you fighting him? Why don't you fight back? Hit him. I was like, I don't want to break the rules, coach. And he goes, I'm going to hit you if you don't. <laughs> and he was big. And I was like, okay. And he goes, and I'll tell you something. He said, he does not wear protection below the belt. And that's where I would start. <laughs> and so the next play, Farrell took a swing at me and hit me in the shoulder pads. And I hit him twice in the gut. And then I just went for what the coach, yeah. I went for his future generations. Farrell went down for about <laughs> five minutes. And when he got up, he came with just both guns blazing, and we got into a fight, and I realized something. It doesn't hurt when people hit you when you have pads on. <laughs> and But here's the thing. I was afraid of fighting, but I had a reputation for standing up to Farrell after that, and nobody fought me. Nobody, Everybody just treated me with respect, which I think I really needed at that point in my heart and my confidence, also that I didn't need to be challenged. And when you think about it, you know, Jesus was – went through this Cowboy Ranger stage himself. And we know that he had that battle with Satan in the desert, and there's some other things that God was teaching him along the way. But when you look into Jesus' prayer at the end of his life in John 17, he says some very interesting things that I think we can really glean from. It says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one while i was with them i protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me had you ever thought that jesus was carrying the family name and that god had given him that name 
by which to protect his disciples. And now we are protected by that same name. It's just more than amazing how Jesus was learning how to use what God had given him in the family name. And Vinny, you know what it meant to be a Menino in your day in New York City, right? Yes, sir. You, well, let's. Robbie, I there's a lot. Of, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll the point respect, of it is, we'll is there's a lot the in name there's a lot of things that are right there that we understand that when we take on the name That's of right. Jesus, that we have a certain power that now has been given us because we are one with the Father, and 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 it's it's a similar situation. There was a family that lived across from us, and they were from Chicago. There was five of them. And when you got in a fight with one, you got in a fight with all five. If they had that name, you're going to have to fight them all. <laughs> and that's the deal. It's, it's, a, it's a band of brothers, and it's the family name. Now, when you think back in your own life, you had that story of work. You had that story of early battle. How was God fathering you through that? And then think about the young men in your life that are in that stage. How can you father them? I can't recommend the book, The Way of the Wild at Heart, enough. I mean, there's so much wonderful stuff about how to initiate young men and those kind of things. Again, we got all kinds of resources for you at Masculine Journey Radio on Facebook. We have that Facebook page, MasculineJourneyRadio.org. We're on Twitter. We're on all those different places. We've got resources for you, and we got boot camps because this whole masculine journey is is such a – It's a life changer. It's a life changer. But it's so cool to see that we've been on this journey and there's ways for us to go back where we've been wounded and get the things that maybe we've missed or maybe that there's another opportunity for because God's got something for you. Again, it's Masculine Journey Radio at Facebook or you can go to MasculineJourneyRadio.org and there you can get all sorts of information. And, and again, we would love to hear from you as we've talked about before. Tell us your story right there. We've got them lining up on Facebook right now stories of when you were fathered, when you got fathered into work, or when you got fathered through some a warrior experience, who knows who you might bless because the power comes from your witness, right, Al? Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to The Mask and Journey. Next week, we're going to be talking about the warrior stage with King David. Can you imagine? Goliath. And I understand we, we might have a special uh, uh, initiation by the Goliath himself. Really? Stay tuned. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Same time, same station. All this truth.